His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to His and Hers Horror. My name is Tia. And I'm David. And this week, we are doing our first ever Patreon pick episode. I'm excited. Me too. This was actually more fun than I... than It, it was a weird topic. It kind of, sort of... I, I thought so. Well, also, I mean, when, when we wind up picking the topic, sometimes we paint ourselves into a corner. A little bit, yeah. This actually frees us up a little. Yeah. So for those of you who may not remember or are not aware, we do have a uh, Patreon. We are patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. And if you are a top tier patron, one of the perks you get is getting to pick an episode. So this month is uh, Teresa's pick. Teresa is my mom. She is our only top tier donor, so this will be our only Patreon pick episode for I don't know how long. So when when I emailed her mm-hmm. to ask what she would like us to do, the month of January is also when her birthday is. Right. Um, my mom and I basically damn near share a birthday. So she decided, well, since it's January, it's for January, and my birthday is in January, why don't you guys do movies from the year I was born? Can we knock the mic down to 90? Mm-hmm. Is that better? Yeah, it's a lot better. Okay. So the year my mom was born was 1963. Cool. Which gave us some interesting movies. Yes, it did. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was fun. I mean, to be fair, though, because they're older movies, we were able to watch a lot of them for free. So that was nice. Yeah. So thank you, Mom, for your suggestion of 1963 horror movies. Um, we've never done anything that is for a specific year before. This is true. So I thought it would be fun, mm-hmm. before we get into the movie stuff, to kind of look at the year 1963 as a whole. Okay. Kind like of a look thumbnail at thumbnail perspective. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So like the prices of things mm-hmm. and some big historical events that happened that year. I also have a list of like celebrities that were born that year. Cool. So the first thing I have is um, some cost of living type things. So in 1963, minimum wage was $1.25. And the average yearly salary from what I found was um, roughly $4,300. Interesting, because I found $5,807. Where did you get yours from? thepeoplehistory.com okay there were a couple different websites that i looked at but some stuff i tried to find and i couldn't like i couldn't find the cost of rent i could find how much it was to buy a house Mm -hmm. which was not a lot yeah i've 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 got that data too what do you have it was like um just over nineteen thousand dollars interesting why what does yours say twelve thousand six hundred fifty oh Weird. I wonder but, if it depends on where... I don't know. Yeah, more than likely. Who, I mean, you know, a two-bedroom in Manhattan versus a two-bedroom in L.A. versus a two-bedroom in central Missouri is going to all... Be drastically different. Right. Yeah. So a gallon of milk I have was uh, 49 cents. Nice. 
Interestingly enough, a gallon of gas was only 30 cents. Yeah, that's close to what I've got. I've got 29. Okay. So, yeah, that sounds about right. A loaf of bread was 22 cents. Concert tickets uh, were anywhere from $5 to $9, depending on where you were sitting. Wow. And the average movie ticket price was 85 cents. Holy guacamole. I know. Oh. Considering how much it is now, depending on... If the movie theater is open and well, still in let's, business. Well, let's pretend... Per- <laughs> in the before times. <laughs> yeah, in the before times, you'd have to go with 40 bucks if you wanted to be able to have movie for two and any snacks or drinks or anything. Yeah, I think the last time you and I went to a movie together, we didn't get any snacks or anything, and it was still like 20 bucks. Yeah. Something like that. So I have my historic facts. I have them broken down by month. Okay. This year in horror. This year. Well, there's, they're not all horror. They're, sure. None of them are horror related. Let's oh. be perfectly honest. Okay. Well, some of them are horrible things, but they're not horror related. So January, mm-hmm. Astro Boy becomes the first serialized animated series on Japan's Fuji television. Awesome. Which I thought was neat. I I wasn't sure if anybody else would find that interesting, but I figured at least you would. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I In February, the Beatles recorded their debut album, Please Please Me, in London. Mm-hmm. And The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan was published, Reawakening the Women's Movement. Excellent. Yep. Uh, in March, Alcatraz Prison actually closed. Yes. There were only like 27 people left at the time that it closed, they were moved to other penitentiaries in and around California. I think it is still cons- it is still like a tourist thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, from what I found, they it, they found it no longer cost effective to keep it open for the twenty some odd inmates they had because it was a yeah well, and it was also so damaged like they would have had to do a bunch of repairs yeah, and it was just not worth it. Also in March was Gideon v. Wainwright. The Supreme Court ruled that courts are required to provide counsel. In criminal cases for defendants who can't afford to pay for their own lawyer. Neat. Which I didn't realize wasn't always a thing. Yeah. Just because I've watched a lot of cop, I've watched a lot of you know crime shows and stuff growing up, and you hear you know M- Miranda rights where the whole if you cannot afford attorney, one will be provided for you. I just assumed that was always a thing. Mm. I didn't realize it wasn't. April. Martin Luther King Jr. and others are arrested at a protest in Birmingham, Alabama for, quote, parading without a permit. Good grief. I know. But four days later was actually when he issued his uh, letters from Birmingham jail. Well, there you go. In May, Coca-Cola introduced its first diet drink, Tab. I remember Tab. I, I was associated Tab with the 80s. I didn't realize it was it had been around much earlier than that, but whatever. And uh, Kuwait became the 111th member of the UN. Nice. In June, Kennedy gave his Ich bin ein Berliner speech in West Berlin. Cool. And Valentina Tereshkova of the Soviet Union became the first woman in space. Rock on. Which, fuck yeah, for women. Hell yeah. In July, I didn't know this either. I I just find this amazing because I would have thought this was something that was around much earlier. Zip codes were introduced. Mm. I didn't realize that zip codes, the, the concept of a zip code is so young, really, because it just seems like such a... Because it's always been, you know, you've always seen it your whole life. Well, and it just so makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, and realistically, so has my mother, because... Well, yeah. She wouldn't remember a time before zip codes. Well, that's okay, because it started when she did, so... Right, exactly. In August, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom takes place. Nice. It was at that point the single largest protest in American history. Excellent. It is definitely not anymore. No. We have beat it several times in the last four years. (laughs) 
the the 2017 women's march alone (laughs) yeah beat it by quite a lot that was also when uh, martin luther king jr delivered his i have a dream speech on the steps of the lincoln memorial so october lamborghini was founded in italy and that was also uh hurricane flora took place then which was apparently an extremely devastating hurricane november is where we get to some uh some heavy shit yeah but before we get to the heavy shit real quick Doctor Who premieres on BBC in November 1963. Nice. Like the first iteration of, of yeah, Doctor Who. Yeah, o- OG, OG, first Doctor. original Doctor Who, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Malcolm X delivers his uh, message to the grassroots speech in Detroit. Okay. And then, unfortunately, the major event of 1963, at least as far as American history is concerned, is the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Yeah. November 1963, he was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald in Dallas, Texas. I think within hours, Lyndon B. Johnson was sworn in as the 36th president of the United States. And then four days after that, Lee Harvey Oswald was actually shot and killed by Jack Ruby, mm-hmm. which was an event that was unfortunately broadcast live yeah. on television. They didn't mean to. They were basically just like filming him being transported from yeah, something innocuous yeah really, saying hey we're transporting this guy here's live footage of it coming yeah. to you now here's the guy who assassinated the president we're tra- they're transporting him from this jail to the to this place mm-hmm. and then he just gets shot yep december the warren commission began its investigation into the kennedy assassination mm-hmm. and then towards the very end of december of 1963 was when the Beatles released two singles in the United States, which sparked the start of Beatlemania on an international level. Awesome. What songs? I think they were I Want to Hold Your Hand and Love Me Do. Okay. I don't remember. I didn't write it down. Okay. I have three things that are interesting that I, that they don't really have a specific date. Okay. What do you got? The Porsche 911 was first produced in 1963. Nice. The touch-tone phone was introduced by AT&T. Yeah, see... For those who don't know, there used to be a thing called a rotary phone. Oh my God, rotary phones. We had, had to, one when I was a kid. You had to put your finger in and, and turn it all the way, and you it, mess up and one of them. And it had to go back. To, yeah. Yeah. If you fucked up and entered the wrong number, you had to start all over again. Mm-hmm. It was not a fun process. And the last thing I have was 1963 was when Marvel introduced the Avengers. Awesome. Which they were first assembled. I didn't know. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Um, so I have some famous births from 1963, but did you have any other facts that you wanted to bring to the table? No. All right. I think you pretty well covered it. Cool. So as far as famous births of 1963, I have two that are horror related. Oh. One is Don Mancini. Okay. Who is basically the mind behind the Chucky franchise. Right. And Greg Nicotero. Oh, cool. Yeah. Other famous people who were born in uh, 1963, uh, Michael Jordan. Cool. Quentin Tarantino. Nice. Gary Kasparov. Cool. Jet Li. Hell yeah. Jason Isaacs. Nice. Mike Myers. Mm-hmm. Ming-Na Wen. Nice. Brad Pitt. Yeah. And two big ones, at least one I put on here specifically for you. Okay, I'm waiting with bated breath. Les Claypool. Okay. And Hideo Kojima. Nice. I know. My mom shares a birth year with Hideo Kojima. I just thought that was cool. And Greg Nicotero. I just thought that was awesome. Your mom's got the coolest birth year. I know, she right? Wins. Right? She win. You win, Teresa. You win. Seriously. I feel like we need to give her some context real quick. Hideo Kojima is a very important video game 
producer and developer. And Greg Nicotero is a really good makeup artist and horror director. So there you go. All right. So now that I've given us a bit of background into 1963, a little history lesson for everybody, you're welcome. Now you can pull out random facts for people. You'd be like, hey, did you know that this happened in 1963? Yeah. And it'll be really cool. So the first thing I have, not a movie, but kind of a horror sci-fi television series that premiered in 1963, and that is The Outer Limits. Mm, Yes. It actually only ran for like a year and a half, Mm -hmm. basically. It didn't... Because this, okay, this is one of the first instances I can really see of a television company basically deciding they were going to get rid of a show by moving the time slot. Because the original Outer Limits TV show was very popular, especially with like younger audiences, like teenagers. Right. So initially it was on on Monday evenings and they switched it to where it was on Sunday nights at 730. Oof. So not only was that bad from it being later in the evening, but they put it in a time slot where not only did it precede the Lawrence Welk show, which Outer Limits and Lawrence Welk, you can't think of, I can't think of two things that are any more different. No. But they also put it to where it was on at the same time as the Jackie Gleason show. Oh, good night. So yeah, they basically, they made certain that this show was fucking doomed and actually premiered on September 16th of 1963. Hey. I know. The hits just keep on coming. I know. Even when it's even when we're not talking about your birthday, we're talking about your birthday. <laughs> uh, and, and actually, so it ran through June of 1965. So actually, no, it, it ran for a year and a half, thereabouts. Yeah. Some of the directors, because like I said, this is an anthology series, right. so I can't give the normal, like, this is who directed it, this is who wrote it. I, right, right. I can give a little bit, though. So some of the people who directed episodes, uh, Byron Haskin, who also directed the 1953 War of the Worlds, Mm -hmm. Leonard Horn, who directed episodes of uh, Mission Impossible and Wonder Woman. Nice. And John Brom, who was also like a very big television director, if I remember correctly. Good deal. Some of the writers who wrote episodes were Joseph Stefano, who actually wrote the screenplay for Psycho. Cool. Robert Towne who years later would actually win an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for Chinatown, and Harlan Ellison. Oh, wow. Yeah, he wrote two episodes. Huh. Uh, Some of the actors who starred on the show include Donald Pleasance, Martin Landau, William Shatner, Vera Miles, and Leonard Nimoy. All classics. Yeah. I thought it was interesting because William Shatner, not only was he on The Outer Limits, he was also on The Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. So some fun facts... I mentioned uh, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy were Mm -hmm. on this. Gene Roddenberry was actually a huge fan of The Outer Limits. Like, he would visit the set. Oh, cool. And actually, a lot of the crew cast costumes and props from Outer Limits would later be reused on the original Star Trek series. Makes sense. Yeah. The original title for the series was actually Please Stand By. Mm. However, the Cuban Missile Crisis had happened less than a year earlier, And the producers behind the show thought that that might make people fearful that there was an air raid or something on the way. Fair. Yeah, so they changed it. Numerous guest stars on the show had actually been victims of the blacklist Hmm. during McCarthyism. Yeah, yeah. So for a lot of the people that were on this show, this was the first time they had been in front of the camera in like a decade. Right. Kind of a new lease on life. Mm Mm-hmm. 
this is actually something I didn't know and I thought was really interesting. So I mentioned Harlan Ellison wrote a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. He actually, in 1984, filed a lawsuit against the production company Hemdale and distributed Orion Pictures for plagiarism, alleging inspiration for James Cameron's Terminator had come from his work on The Outer Limits. Hmm. Specifically, an episode he wrote called Soldier, which featured someone coming back from the future to protect, you know. Right, right. Basically, the premise of Terminator. Basically, yeah. Ellison, actually, they, it didn't go to court. Mm-hmm. They settled out of court. Uh, he was awarded money and an end credits mention in the home video release of The Terminator that states, Acknowledgement to the Works of Harlan Ellison. That's both classy sounding, but also like the bare minimum. Right. James <laughs> James Cameron, though, emphatically denied Ellison's allegations and was opposed to the settlement, stating, for legal reasons, I'm not supposed to comment on this, but it was a real bum deal. I had nothing to do with it, and I disagree with it. You're welcome to disagree with it all you like. Yeah. So basically, there was a gag order from some other stuff I read. Orion Pictures basically said, look, we can either settle it this way. Or we can let it go to court, and if we lose, you're paying the damages out of your own pocket. Fair. Yeah. I think they probably made the wise call. Probably, yeah. It was actually, so The Outer Limits was revived in 1995. Mm -hmm. It ran on Showtime from 95 to 2000, and then on Sci-Fi from 2001 to 2002. And it's actually been in in syndication on other networks Mm kind of ever since. Although I did see that there is another revival in the works as of 2019. Really? Yeah, specifically, uh, back in, I know back in 2014, Scott Derrickson talked about reviving it. Nice. Uh, and But there's not really much news on it since then. Mm. I would watch it, though. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I didn't, mean, the originals are fantastic enough. See, I never watched the originals. I did watch the, the revival series that mm-hmm. they did. That one I, I enjoyed. So we only had that one TV show. Mm-hmm. Now, now let's get into the movies. Now, I I feel the need to mention with this, and maybe this is a bit obvious, 1963 was a different time. Yes, it, yes, it definitely was. And there are some, there are some things in the movies that we watched that I'm sure at the time were quite racy or subversive or terrifying. For the most part, I found several of these films to be quite boring. <laughs> I, I found one of them to be rather frustrating because I, I understood the use of darkness to exemplify what was shown and, you know, mm-hmm. really hiding the set. But when one-tenth of my screen has any image, that's yeah. that's not... There not is a, now, now you're just hiding everything. There was a reason for that, and we'll get into it. Mm. Okay, so the first... Here's the thing, though. These are considered classics. Yes. A lot of them are for forerunners in various genres. So I I am glad I watched them. That mm-hmm. being said, I don't think they're not the kind of thing I would go back to on like a lazy Sunday. Right. If that right. makes any kind of sense. Okay. So the first movie I have on my list is Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. This is the first Mario Bava film I've ever seen. Yeah, it was... Uh... He was a very big director at mm-hmm. the time. He was basically responsible for the birth of Giallo. Mm-hmm. Specifically, this film yeah. was is one of the segments is cited as the beginning of Giallo films. So, yeah, directed by Mario Bava, screenplay by Marcello Fondato, Alberto Bevilacqua, and Mario Bava also wrote one of the pieces. Right. 
stars Boris Karloff, mm-hmm. which this is also the first Boris Karloff movie I've ever seen that isn't an Abbott and Costello film. Well, there you go. So, thanks. <laughs> I mean, it was... Thanks, it, Mom. <laughs> it was fun. The the that, That's the one we watched that was in Italian, right? Pronto. Pronto. Yeah, there were... Yeah, yes, it was. It was in Italian. You're okay. correct. Okay, cool. I was trying to remember. I knew at least the first segment was in was in Italian. It, it was all in Italian. It was all in Italian. Okay, so yes. <laughs> well, that's because Mario Bava is Italian. Well, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, stars Boris Karloff, Mark Damon, who I did look up. No relation to Matt Damon. Okay. I was just curious. And Susie Anderson. I don't have budget information. It wasn't in dollars. I can easily convert that. Well, I... It didn't occur to me to ask you to do that at the time, and I now I most of them didn't even have it, so... Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So basically the plot, a trio of atmospheric horror tales. A woman receives menacing phone calls in her apartment. A Russian count in the early 1800s stumbles upon a, upon a family in the countryside trying to destroy a particularly vicious line of vampires. And a nurse makes a grave mistake while preparing the corpse of one of her patients an elderly medium who died during a seance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Did you have a favorite of the three vignettes? I felt like the first one had the most tension. The second one yeah. was all right for a while, but it kind of dragged. But yeah. it seemed, always feels like the middle piece drags a bit. A little bit. It was definitely the longest of the three. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that was because that's the one that Boris Karloff was in. Mm. So they kind of... Gave that the the main course. Right. So, fun facts. Mm -hmm. The film's Italian title is, and pardon me if I pronounce this incorrectly, I Tre Volti Della Paura, uh, which means the three faces of fear. That fits. The first segment, the telephone, Mm -hmm. that is the one that is actually cited as the earliest example of a giallo film. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that just, first segment. Yeah, just the coloration and the the atmosphere. The music was weird. I loved the music. It was oddly, like, early, like, 70s porno-y. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was, you know, a, a hip tune to, it, to, to play. It was weirdly jazzy for the situation going on. <laughs> yeah, someone's doing these menacing calls saying that, that they're going to kill you, but... Mm-hmm. After the phone call, it's like, all right, let's get back to some smooth jazz. Yeah, seriously. She would answer the phone because mu- she would be doing something with the jazzy music. The, the music would cut out while she was on the phone. And then she would hang up the phone and it would be like, and you're just it like, was great. what the fuck? <laughs> it was awesome. That is, She had the nicest robe I have ever seen in my life. She had a lot of nice things. Jesus. Um, That was a nice apartment, too. It was a very nice apartment, also. My last fun fact for this particular movie, Quentin Tarantino actually cites this film as one of his biggest influences. That doesn't surprise me at all. Well, and particularly in regards to um, Pulp Fiction, Mm -hmm. originally Pulp Fiction was going to be this style of movie, but with crime instead of horror. Oh. So it was going to have three separate vignettes. They, They eventually scrapped that and did like it basically between became technically three separate storylines but all kind of woven together whereas these right. are definitively separate yeah i still thought that was cool that is pretty cool especially considering quentin tarantino was also born in 1963 so there you go it's apropos so the next film we watched was another mario bava Wait, film. hang on what was your favorite piece of the of black sabbath 
I don't really have one. I I kind of liked I liked the the last one, the drop of water. Hmm. I felt like that there. I felt like more could have been done with that one if they had taken. So the middle piece is called the Vordelac. Yes, which that's the one about the vampires. Which I mean, it's good. It's good, but it's predictable. Yeah, and extremely frustrating. Oh yeah, I mean, if you like watching stuff where you're like screaming at the TV or screaming at the screen to you know not do something because there people are obviously being dumb on the screen. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. That, that's your ticket right there. Right. So I feel like if that one had been shortened a bit, mm-hmm. they could have dedicated a little bit more time to the drop of water. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it didn't get enough. It didn't get, it didn't get enough time to really Develop. build any yeah. kind of tension. Mm-hmm. So that I just found frustrating. It could have been, it could have been really good. Otherwise, I think it just wasn't given the proper amount of time. I get that. Sorry. No, you're fine. So the next film we watched, also Mario Bava, mm-hmm. it's called The Whip and the Body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking movie. We'll get there. Um, it was written by Ernesto Gastaldi, stars uh, Christopher Lee. Mm. This is actually one of the few, one of the, one of the older, because Christopher Lee, is, has, he made his career in horror movies before he was ever in star wars or the lord of the rings and any of the stuff that most people would know christopher lee for so this is one of his one of the only two christopher lee horror movies i've ever seen the other one being the wicker man Hmm. also stars dahlia iavi tony kendall and ida golly cool so the plot kurt menliff a sadistic 19th century nobleman returns to his seafront castle home after years of wandering he finds himself unwelcome by his invalid father, as well as his milquetoast younger brother, Christian, who is married to Kurt's former lover, Navenka. When Kurt is found murdered in his room, everyone is a suspect. The situation gets more complicated when Navenka starts to believe she's being tormented by his ghost. Mm. I have no fun facts for this movie. <laughs> I couldn't find anything. I will say Christopher Lee was quite seductive. He was. He was pretty hot. Yeah. I was like, damn, dude, get it. Yeah. And this is the movie when I gave my... Okay. (laughs) Again, I get that for 1963, this was probably pretty racy. Mm -hmm. It actually was given like an 18 or over rating in Italy because it was considered a very, very controversial just because of the sadomasochistic relationship Mm -hmm. between Kurt and Nevenka. But I'm watching this and I distinctly remember at one point pausing it and saying to you, okay, so he's just into BDSM. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what makes him so horrible? Like he's into a little bit of light whipping? I'm like, she was clearly fine with it. Like yeah. she was also clearly into it. So it's not like he was doing it against her will. Right. So I don't, I don't know. It was weird. I get it. Kind of from a, again, it was probably very I don't know. What I'm trying I'm trying to figure what I'm trying to say. Risque. Here. Risque and the idea of BDSM at the time was probably considered like like if you were into that kind of thing it was probably con- still classified as like a fucking mental illness or some shit. Yeah, it would have been con- considered deviant behavior. Yeah. So, I get why it was considered horror at the time, but now when you've got shit like 365 days and the 50 shades series 
and that kind of stuff. You're just like, right. Well, you're just like, okay, so what's uh, consenting adults? Who cares? There you go. Exactly. So the next one I have is the last one that's going to make me sigh. (laughs) Is it what I think it is? It is the terror. Oh, yeah. So this one, it's a Roger Corman film, Mm -hmm. actually. And I don't think I've ever actually watched a Corman film. Now you have. Now I have. Hooray me. (laughs) So uh, directed by Roger Corman, screenplay by Leo Gordon and Jack Hill. Mm -hmm. Again, it stars Boris Karloff. Yes, it does. How many fucking movies did we watch of Boris Karloff in them this time? Was that just to those two? It was just those two. It, it just felt, felt like we like watched five. a lot of Boris Karloff movies. Well, we also did some some other background research. But fair, yeah. fair. So it stars Boris Karloff, a very young Jack Nicholson. Like soups young. Uh, it wasn't the first thing he did, though. I no. thought it might, maybe it might have been, but no, not by a long shot. Dick Miller mm-hmm. and Sandra Knight. Yeah. I'm going to try and read the plot without laughing. I believe in you. Okay, I can't look at you while I do this. A young officer in Napoleon's army pursues a mysterious woman to the castle of an elderly baron. Oh, I did it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Is that all of it? (laughs) Yes, that's the whole plot summary that I have. Because everything else was too long. uh, Well, I mean, there's there's more to it than that. There's definitely more to it than that. That's the one that has the whispering dude in it. Yes. Yes, it is. At the beach. I don't understand what that guy was i i don't know like seriously like oh the uh gustav yeah yeah he was uh okay so let's go into this a little bit more because i didn't want to go hugely into like give a big plot summary because i want to talk about the plot because holy fucking shit this fucking movie (laughs) jack nicholson is supposed to be a, a frenchman in napoleon's army yes like during the napoleonic war mm-hmm I will tell you guys, if you decide to watch this movie, it's in the public domain. Yes. So not only is it available to watch for free on Amazon Prime, which is where we watched it, it's also free in its entirety on YouTube. Yes. So you can watch it for free. Yeah. If you want to see a really young Jack Nicholson, it's really great sets. Nobody attempted an accent whatsoever. Which, honestly, you know what? If your choice is no accent and just use your own voice or really bad accent... I would much prefer no accent. The thing is, why did he have to be French? Because this was a script they threw together in like two days. Yeah. He didn't have to be French. Wasn't this the one where they were basically using um, some sets? They were using sets from another Corman film, The Raven. Right. And they're like, hey, we've got these sets for a few more days. Let's grab some people and do this movie. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so basically Jack Nicholson, who is from New Jersey, by the way, mm-hmm. and does not try to hide his accent at all, plays a man named Andre Duvalier, who is, like I said, a soldier in Napoleon's army during the Napoleonic Wars. And he gets separated from his regiment somehow. We don't know how. And ends up on this beach and sees this beautiful woman. There's a lot of him just following her around and not really anything happening. So he follows her to some various places. Then she disappears. He finds this old, he wakes up in this old lady's house and he's like, Oh, I saw this beautiful woman. Where did she go? And she's like, there's no woman. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. So he eventually ends up at the house of Baron von Lepp. 
who is played by Boris Karloff. And he sees a painting of the girl that he saw on the beach. But she is supposedly Baron Von Lepp's wife, who's been dead for 20 years. Yes. But he keeps seeing this woman. It's very, it's very weird. It, it's kind of a ghost story type deal, but... Yeah. Like a it's ghost a reven- revenge ghost, film? Yeah. It's, uh, it's really weird. But not like... Not like modern ghost revenge films. I no, mean. because the ghost isn't... She's being made to seek revenge by a witch. Mm-hmm. So it's like she is She is a manifestation of bon, uh, Baron Von Lepp's dead wife brought to life by this witch for the purposes of seeking revenge. For something that didn't... For something that technically didn't happen. Right. So... To fast forward, at the end of the film, the Baron is the Baron. She gets a revenge. Well, she doesn't technically get a revenge, but any regardless, the Baron is dead, and Jack Nicholson's carrying this ghost manifestation woman who is tech. She is a physical being. Yeah, she's corporeal. She's corporeal. She's, yeah, yeah, she has form because they make out a couple times. Um, he carries her out of the castle and lays her up against this tree. And he's like, you're free now. And she goes, I'm free. And they kiss. And then he pulls back and she's like actively rotting. But the thing is. (laughs) The effects are great. It looks like I actually. So I really thought about this. So Mm -hmm. imagine that you take a a skeleton, Mm -hmm. like a, a fake skeleton that you'd get for Halloween or something. You drape a little bit of like cheesecloth over the face Mm -hmm. and then you melt some chocolate and peanut butter together and you pour that over the top yeah that's essentially what it looks like as her as she's she's basically melting and he's just standing there just staring at her yeah it's not uh, really reacting just kind of like huh that's weird i just kissed that thing and then and then the movie ends (laughs) yeah like it, it it leaves you with this actively melting actively melting corporeal ghost lady (laughs) it's so weird i will say it's only like an hour and 20 minutes so yeah and some some of the scenery is beautiful when you can see it when it's not grainy as shit Mm. Uh, i only have one fun fact for this film okay uh, so some of the second, the, the bulk of the filming was done in two days by Roger Corman. Right. But there was like nine months worth of second unit filming that was done. Mm. Some of that second unit filming that was done was done by Jack Nicholson. Oh, cool. Like he actually directed portions and Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, shit. Yeah. Coppola actually directed for Corman for a bit early in his career. Wow. So, Yeah. So the last film I have is one we didn't watch, but I think we've both seen it before. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. And that was The Haunting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was directed by Robert Wise, a screenplay by Nelson Gidding, but it's based on a novel by Shirley Jackson. Mm-hmm. Shirley Jackson, good horror writer. Yeah. The, her short story, The Lottery, is one of my favorites. Um, stars Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, and Russ Tamblin. Uh, so the plot, Dr. John Markway is doing research into the existence of ghosts at Hill House 
a 19th century mansion with a long tragic history. With him in his study are Luke, whose family currently owns Hill House, Theodora, a clairvoyant, and Eleanor, who feels an odd connection with whatever spirits inhabit the mansion. But as they spend time in the house, the ghostly presence begins to make itself known in increasingly horrific and deadly ways. So I do have a couple of fun facts for this movie. Shoot. Um, Russ Tamblin, who played Luke, Mm -hmm. has an uncredited cameo as Nell's psychiatrist in Mike Flanagan's Haunting of Hill House series for Netflix. Oh, well, that's really cool. I know. I didn't know that. Kind of coming full circle. Yeah. Uh, Most of the film was shot through lenses that added a curvature to the walls, which is what contributes to the house seeming even more strange. Yeah. Gives a greater sense of unease. Yeah. The infamous bending door scene was achieved by constructing a prop door composed of laminated wood. Hmm. While filming, the bending effect was caused by having a particularly strong stagehand push on the door with a timber. Oh, there you go. uh, And my last fun fact, Martin Scorsese has named this as his favorite horror film. Hmm. Which I thought was interesting. I mean, yeah, that's that's, that's neat. It's it's just kind of nice to see other... When it comes to other things like directors and actors to kind of learn what some of their influences are and what some of their favorite stuff is. I, I don't know. I just find that stuff interesting sometimes. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. It, that is kind of neat is, you know, if if nothing else, it kind of brings someone in who's, you know, on this like really high celebrity type status and well, kind of says, hey, we have the same favorite movie or hey, you like cheeseburgers, too. Yeah. Me, too. Well, because Martin, Martin Scorsese, his opinions on Marvel notwithstanding, He's considered to be a very, very good director. Yeah, rather accomplished. Rather accomplished, yes. Um, so it's kind of neat when you th- when you see these extremely accomplished directors and writers, and they're like, well, this is the thing that I like that's, you know, maybe not seen as so highbrow, if that mm-hmm. makes any kind of sense. So it's just neat. I don't know why. So that is all I have for 1963. I will say Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds came out in 1963 also. Uh, but we covered that in our uh, Killer Animals episode. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to. I didn't want to retread old ground. Yeah. All right. So I think that is going to do it for us this week. Yeah. Um, thank you, Mom, again for the interesting topic. It led us to some very strange places, but it also led me to watch some movies that I may not necessarily have watched otherwise. Oh, one other thing. Yeah. I, I remembered about the terror from actually the documentary we watched on the, the terror. Yes. Poor Dick Miller. Didn't Jack Nicholson legit punch him in the face by accident? Yeah, and then the next scene gets hit in the face with uh, the chain on the Some door. Some chains on the door. Like, like there, there's a, a like the last ten minutes of the film. Poor Dick Miller gets just just the shit out kicked out of him. Yeah. Sorry, I I no, you're I fine. spaced out for a minute. No, you're okay. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at H2HorrorCast. You can send us your film suggestions at H2HorrorCast at gmail.com. If you, like Teresa, would like to become a Patreon subscriber, you can do so at patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. You don't necessarily have to do the $20 tier if you don't want to. The lowest tier we've got is $5. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything that you feel like doing would help us out greatly with getting new equipment, film rentals, where we have to actually pay to watch something, stuff for research, that kind of thing. If you cannot support us monetarily, we totally understand Um, You can support us in other ways. Um, Recommend us to your friends. If you listen to us on Apple podcast, if you could rate us, that would be great. I would absolutely love it if we could get 50 ratings by the end of the year. Yeah, that would be awesome. All right. 
So I think that is going to do it for us. My name is Tia. And I'm still David. And thank you for listening. Music for this episode was Out of Time by Shane Ivers of Silverman Sound. Our artwork was created by Catherine Nixon.